Jennifer sat down beside me and I said, you did great this morning. Are you ready to go again? She said, yeah, are you? I said, we'll, we'll see. We're getting in Genesis chapter 26 this morning. Genesis 26. I'll give you the same disclaimer I gave the 830 crowd. Preachers I know of growing up and ministers have a tendency to want to act like their sermons are all original. That they've never borrowed from anybody. I am not one of those guys. So I'm giving you my disclaimer now. I borrowed part of this one. Evangelist friend of mine named Randy Bain several years ago, probably 20, preached a sermon out of this and it's always stuck with me. The title's his, the passage, you know, is God's, but the guts are mine. All right, so if you do a fact check on me, I'm clear. Because there's nothing new under the sun. If there's anything I can preach that you've never heard, I'd be amazed. If there's anything I can preach that nobody's ever preached before, I'd ever be even more amazed. But I thank God, which is the point of this sermon, that we can go back and we can find those truths that maybe other men and women before us, before us have expounded, but yet we can bring them to light again and we can share in that truth and we can experience the fullness and goodness of God that, that maybe they did years ago. So, we look in this passage of Scripture, we're looking here at Isaac for a few minutes. And Isaac, in chapter number 25, had just come through a recent uh, hardship Abraham had died in that chapter. And chapter 25 is a big chapter. And sometimes chapter 26 gets lost because 25 is so big. You've got the death of Abraham. But then you have the birth of Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now I point those out because in the first sermon I had them completely messed up. And I had Isaac and Esau. And, and the other one, I don't know where I got him, but I strained it all out. So there's no heresy involved. But, but, but Isaac had a, a, a hardship, a time where the, the patriarch of the family, Abraham, had died. And Abraham received the blessing of God. And as a result, Isaac knew about this blessing. But yet now Abraham was gone where they had sojourned in the land of promise. But they had not been given that promise as of yet. So now Isaac who had the death and then the joy of the birth of his children, has to take over the family. I think I'm a little loud here. Sorry, it's just my voice. So he had to become, <laughs> he had to become the patriarch and move the family. So we see at once, as, as children of God, we see that sometimes those that come before us move on. Well, all the time, not sometimes. Those that come before us move on, and there's others that come up and take their place. But you know, I thank God that He said there'll always be a remnant. There'll always be somebody that comes along and takes the place of those that have gone on before us. The Word of God's always going to go out. God will always have His people. God will always have men and women that stand and proclaim the gospel. That even though Abraham died, Isaac could come along and pick up the mantle and just move on. But you know, sometimes we look at it and we get a little dismayed, don't we? Got a, a dear man in my church down in Georgia where we were members. He was also the, one of my professors in seminary named Dr. Lasilius. He's in his 80s now. I've never met a smarter man in my life. He went to Georgia State University about 15 years ago and took Hebrews in three months and got a 98. I mean, he was, 
like 70. And I think, how, how can we replace this fountain of knowledge that, that came up? But you know, and then I rest in the fact to know that the God that set up Dr. Lasilius and raised him up and called him, he's also going to call me. And he's going to call you. And God's word will always go forth. And it will never falter. And it will never fail. You say, preacher, but the times are dark. You think Isaac didn't look when his dad died and say, oh no, what am I going to do now? Because yes, during this time, something else happened. He was dwelling, the Bible says, down near Egypt. And yet what happened? There was a famine in the land. Look in verse 1 and it said, and there was a famine in the land. Beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Isaac and Rebekah had experienced the highs and lows, but now they were in a time of despair and hardship. A famine had come, and Isaac was responsible for his family. So he had to find a place to go and do what he needed to do. But yet we find as he moved, he went into the land of who? The Philistines. Now somebody dig back in your memory and tell me if anything good ever happened when the Israelites and the Philistines got together. Was that ever a good thing? No, the entire Old Testament is up where the Philistines took over and then the Israelites got the Philistines and you know, you got the whole jawbone of an ass with Samson killing these guys. It was never a good thing and here goes Isaac camping out right in the middle of them. We can look at that and see what happens sometimes where circumstances direct our lives. And oftentimes we come to church on Sunday morning and we shut the doors and it's us four and no more. And we got people that are like-minded, people that believe like we do, our friends that, that, that know the Word of God and love God. And we insulate ourselves in that. But yet we find when we leave these four walls and go out the world, we are surrounded by the Philistines. We are surrounded by the world, and yet we have to live, we have to survive, but yet God gave us a promise where he said that not only will I give you life, I will give you life more abundantly. Now how could that be if we could have abundant life when we're just pilgrims and sojourners in this world? Because the scripture says that while Isaac did that, there was a promise that God had given to his dad that yet now he was given to Isaac. He says in verse number 2, he said, And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Now, he was already close to Egypt, but what did Egypt always represent? The world. Egypt always represented the world. And look, let me tell you something, folks. We dwell in the world. That's where we live. We are pilgrims and sojourners in this land, but this world is not our home. But yet we are dwelling in the world. But yet we see that Egypt had a good thing. There was, there's pleasure in sin for a season. What did the Israelites do? They, once they crossed over the, the, the Red Sea, God had parted the Red Sea. He had given them water from a rock, manna from heaven. Birds from the air that they could just pick and eat. There was a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud for shade by day. But yet when times got difficult, what did they say? Boy, I miss the melons of Egypt. 
I miss the fruit. I miss the good times we had in Egypt. What they should have been saying, and I miss that old taskmaster's whip beating me in the back. I miss chomping on that mud and digging through that mud and making brick and then having to get the hay to cut the brick. I missed how they abused us and how they enslaved us. But that is not what they remembered. They remembered the good fruit that they had. But they forgot the goodness of God that He had done for them. They forgot how God had taken care of them. They forgot the miracles of God that He had bestowed. You'd think if the Red Sea parted and you walked across on dry ground, in police work we used to call that a clue. That there is something more and more amazing that I could ever understand and there's a higher power that's looking out for me. And old Isaac now is surrounded by his enemies. I think back of that show. You remember Band of Brothers that came on about the 101st Airborne, Easy Company, one of my favorite. Read all the books. I'm a big World War II history buff. They were surrounded in Bastogne during the Battle of the Bulge. And you had those brave men sitting there in Bastogne completely surrounded. And you know what their commanding officer said there? He said, we got the Nazis exactly where we want them. And I think, you know what, folks? We're on the big end of a little God. And the world can surround us and the world can, can, can pinch in on all sides on us, but we've got the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. And he said he'd never leave us or forsake us. So as a result, we can go out in this world and we can thrive and we can have life and have it more abundantly. But you know what? God didn't leave Isaac there in the land of the Philistines alone. Bible says that he visited him. And he said in verse 3, he said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and I will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Verse 4, And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, <clears throat> and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Where have we heard that promise before? Abraham. It was the same promise that God gave to Abraham. But yet Abraham did not realize that promise. Oh, he did what God told him to do. He was faithful in what God told him to do. And as a result, the promise that God made to him, he put down now unto Isaac. But not only did it go to Isaac, Isaac didn't get to realize the promise. All right, Abraham didn't, Isaac didn't, Jacob didn't, and all the way down they didn't get realize the promise. But the promises of God are without repentance. If God has made a promise, God will be faithful to commit unto that, and He will conclude that promise, and He will fulfill it. How do we know? Well, what happened in 1948? Israel went back into the land. Now, has that promise been completely fulfilled? Nope, but I can promise you this. It will be. Folks, what I'm saying is this. When God makes a promise, He will stick with it. And because of the faithfulness of Abraham, that promise was passed on to Isaac. And Isaac was faithful and passed it on. And it's passed on through the generations. And God has proved himself to be faithful. God has made a promise to us that we can always count on. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. Yet sometimes we act like just that. Oh, I'm all alone, preacher. There's nobody but me and nobody understands. Woe is me. 
gloom, despair, and agony on me. Yeah, I remember that ship. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. But yet, can't we rejoice in the fact that God never changes? That the same God that promised Abraham to bless him was the same God that promised to Isaac. And the same God that saved you and said, I will keep you until the day of redemption is the same God today as he was five years ago, ten years ago, thirty, forty, fifty years ago. He never changes. So here's Isaac with the blessings of God, but yet his circumstance hasn't changed. He was still in a famine, but yet he was now surrounded by the Philistines. So what did God do? God said, if you do this, I'll bless you. So God gave him the promise. What did Isaac have to do? Well, the Bible says that Isaac had to sojourn in the land. That was a prerequisite to the promise. What if Isaac had to gone down to Egypt? What if Isaac had a ran and went down to Egypt? You know what? God never leaves us. And once you're saved, you're always saved, and that never changes. But folks, let me promise you this. If you reject the Word of God, and you commit sin, and you go down in the world, and let me say something this. Sin does not sneak up on us. Sin that, oh, oh, that one caught me off guard, didn't see that coming. No, sin is premeditated. All right? If Isaac had went down to Egypt, there would have had to been preparation. There would have had to been journey. It wasn't all of a sudden he was in Egypt. But if he had went down to Egypt, there wouldn't have been the blessing of God. And the same thing goes for us. Look at it like this. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within us at all times. And when we sin, we are still not alone, even though we think we do it in the dark. When we sin, the Holy Spirit of God is still there with us. And it grieves the Holy Spirit of God when we sin against Him. You know, that should keep us pure and holy. If not for our own sake, knowing that we have taken the Spirit of God and we have made Him get close to sin because it's in our lives. But Isaac didn't. The Bible says that Isaac obeyed and he sojourned in the land. And in verse 5 he said, Because that Abraham obeyed by voice... And kept my commandments, and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. He said, because Abraham did this, I'm passing on to you. Now you follow in your father's example, and you obey me, and you follow my commandments. And I promise you, Isaac, you'll get the blessing. And what does it say? In verse 6, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. So how do we start off this story? We started off in chapter 25 with a death, and then we see a birth, and then we see a famine, and what are we going to do? And then God appears. Just when things look so dark, and I don't know what's going to happen, then it's usually about that time God shows up. But you know what I found? It's not that God just showed up. He was always there. It's just that I quit looking at the circumstances. I quit watching the waves. I quit seeing the storm, and I began to walk on the water. Because I knew he was there the whole time. He never moved. He was right there. He was just waiting. Come on, boy. You're going to get it here in just a second. Bam. The light just came on. There we go. Folks, this is where we live. So many times that we look and we want to discount what we have in God. Discount what we have in Christ Jesus. 
and we want to work to our salvation and try to do this and do that when it's all Him. It started with Him, it continues with Him, and it will end with Him. When He stops being God is when I stop being a child of God. Can we rest in that? Absolutely. But what did Isaac do? So Isaac, <laughs> in despair, in hardship, received the blessing of God and he obeyed. So what happens? He said, well, all right. Here I am. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Let's see what God does. First test came up, verse 7. He said, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say, she is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. He had a good-looking woman. Abraham did right, and it was passed on to Isaac. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Levi, the Levitical priest, the, the priest of Levi, paid tithes to Melchizedek because Abraham paid tithes. So what I'm saying to you fathers and mothers is the good things we do now that honor God will be passed on and credited to our children and our grandchildren. And that should give us motivation to do right. That should give us motivation to be godly men and women and parents. Because those that come behind us will receive the blessings that God gave us because of our faithfulness. But yet on the flip side, where have we heard this story before? Who else told somebody that his wife was his sister? Abraham. That's right. And where did he do it at? Egypt. All right. So obviously, these men, Abraham and his son Isaac, could pick good-looking women. Good for them. But yet when the time come, when they were confronted, they became afraid, so they lied. So the sins of the father were passed down to the son, and the son committed the same thing. So, let's be motivated to do right for our children's sake. You say, preacher, this is simple. I know, there's nothing new. But we can do this and we can experience the fullness of God in our time and pass it on to our children. We're going to get into that more deeply here in just a second. Alright? So Isaac committed the same sin as his father did. But what did Isaac do? Look here in verse 8. He said, as it came to pass when he had been there a long time, he lived this life for a while, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. What is he talking about there? He was saying, Isaac was looking at his wife not like you look at your sister. Church, sometimes we act like we can fool everybody. I might can fool you. I could stand up here and preach and... And I can use big flowery words maybe and, and I can do this and I can walk out of here and I can give you the look and say, oh, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And you think, Joel is so spiritual. He's so spiritual. But then when I go home and the Falcons blow a 25-point lead in the third quarter, guess what really comes out then? The real me. 
And my children know me. And my wife knows me. And my parents know me. So while I may go into the world sometimes and act like this, you know what? The people that know me can tell. And we see in this situation, Isaac couldn't even fool the Philistines. Because what comes out of us is what we are. You say, all I am, preacher, is a fake. All I am is a smile here, and I come to church because I told it was the right thing to do, but I don't feel anything. I go out in the world, I act like the world, I live like the world, I talk like the world. Guess what? You're of the world. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon on Peter denying the Lord three times. And you know, I started out that sermon going, yeah, this is going to be about Peter and his denial. The more I got into it, the less that what it was. You know what got me about Peter's denial? Peter was so incredibly bad at it. The Bible says that they could tell by his speech, by his dress, and by the people he congregated with. Because Peter, while he denied him with his voice, he could not deny him with his life. And child of God, let me tell you this, you leave these walls, you get out there in the world, you don't have to try to be a Christian if you're a child of God. You just will be a Christian if you're a child of God. And it'll come out, and it'll show, and the world will see it for all it is. I'm not saying we don't lose or cool sometimes. I talk about it at work some, uh, in the first service. I said, I got a little rubber ball that when I get frustrated, I throw it. I don't ever hit anybody. Usually I throw it, toss it to them, they catch it and throw it back at me, and that's just how it goes. But yeah, we all get frustrated, but how do we handle that? And yes, we sin and we fail. Sometimes we lose our cool. Sometimes we're driving down the road and some brain surgeon cuts us off, and we get a little bit aggravated. But how do we respond after that? Look what Isaac did. He said... And, and uh, where was I? Verse 9. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife. How saidst thou? She is my sister. Abimelech saw through it. He knew what was going on. He said, You don't look at your sister like that. And what did Isaac say? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. Isaac learned the lesson. Isaac learned, yeah, I failed, but how do I respond when I fail? How do I come back from this? How am I a Christian example and a testimony of the grace of God in this situation? And when we fail God, it's not how long we stay down. It's not necessarily what we did, but it's how we get up and move on after that. I don't claim to be perfect. Lord knows in heaven that I am not but it's what do I do when I fail? Isaac was confronted. He repented. And he moved on. Oh, David was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. Somebody tell me what David did. Adultery. What else? Oh, the big one. Murder. Right. But what did David do? Did he defend it? Did he make excuses for it? No, the Bible says that he repented, begged God's forgiveness, made restitution, and moved on. 
God can draw a straight line with a mighty crooked stick. We're not disqualified from the work of God until God says we're disqualified. So there's no excuses for us to not stand up and move about and do the things God would have us to do. Because unless God says no more, we still move on. But Isaac learned the lesson. He got that promise of God because he learned. He got the physical promise. That land. He got the spiritual promise where he said, I will be with thee. And he learned and he moved on. Then we see Isaac. Even though he had faults, was a godly man. And what cracks me up about this is Abimelech. The Philistine was more honorable. You know, we can set an example before the world. And we can live for God. And we can see God do things in a mighty way. Yes, we're the minority. Yes, we're pilgrims and strangers. But with God, all things are possible. Abimelech chastised Isaac. But then we see this. Isaac had done right. He had done right when God said sojourn in the land. And he had done right when he was caught in his sin. He admitted it, repented, and moved on. And the Bible says in verse 11, And when Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Verse 12, Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. You know, there's a, there's a price sometimes for doing the right thing. There is. Sometimes we have to pay a price to do what's right. We won't be the popular ones like in high school we always wanted to be. We won't be the favorite ones at work. We won't get the raises. We won't get the promotions. We won't get the accolades or anything else. Sometimes there's a price to pay for doing right. But the blessing always, always, always outweighs the consequence. It always outweighs it. I teach my kids and Renee, we've taught our kids that you do right not because you get something out of it, just simply because it's the right thing to do. I tell you, that keeps you out of so much trouble when you just do the right thing. Isaac did the right thing and the blessings of God came. The Bible says that he grew a hundredfold in his possessions. Now don't forget, this had come out of a time of famine. But yet, here was, here was Isaac, one of the enemies of the Philistines. Abraham had gone through the land already, and here comes his son Isaac. And the same thing that happened to Abraham was happening to Isaac. God was blessing. And you see later in this chapter that through everything that went on, the Bible says that Abimelech came to him and said, God is surely with thee goes back to the point I made a few minutes ago. Hide it if you can, child of God, but you can't do it. The blessings of God will come out. The character of God that's in us will come out. And we'll be who we are. Isaac had done what he said, and God blessed him. The Bible says, And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds. And great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. 
that physical blessing that they could see, they envied. They wanted what he had. They came to us and said, what have you got? I want it. If you read the Apostle Paul, you remember you had that, 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 that magician, the Bible says, that came to him and said, I want the power that you have. How much for it? There's a knowledge and an understanding that there's something going on, but there is no understanding of the, what goes on behind them in the Spirit of God. And that magician thought, hey, I can buy this from these apostles. And now we see that Isaac was blessed of God and the Philistines were envious. Look, church, what do we have to offer? We have the peace of God that passes all understanding. We have that relationship with God that while we want to explain it, sometimes we can't. We have to do what the Apostle Paul did when he stood before Caesar in Rome. He said, you know what? I can't explain what happened, but I can tell you what happened. He said, I was a poor old sinner, and God came to me on that road going toward Damascus, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's what we have to offer. But we can't sell it to them. All we can do is tell them and beg the Holy Spirit of God to make it alive in their lives. But when they see that peace, what do they have? They have envy. I've said it all along. When the chips are down, those people come to the people that they know that there's peace. I remember I've had people come to me when I was a... When I was a deputy, he used to say all the time, Joel, we want you to go with us on this. And it would be a, a dangerous warrant for something bad down in Atlanta. And I'd say, okay. You know, after a while, I got a little tired of it. I'd say, can I go on the easy stuff? And they'd look at me and go, no. And I'd say, why? Am I just that good? Because, you know, that's what I was thinking. I am that good. And they said, no, for some reason, nothing ever happens to you. And you know what I thought? That's all God. Because I'm not always the smartest fella. I don't always do the right things. But yet somehow God keeps me and God secures me. And God makes it all work out right. Even when it goes wrong, it works out right. So oh Isaac, sitting there in the middle of Philistines, surrounded by his enemies being blessed by God then look at it <clears throat> verse 15 we see that the Philistines envied, envied him for all the wells which the father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth back in the day Abraham had gone through that land and he had sojourned in that land. The scriptures talk about it being about a hundred years earlier. He had sojourned in those lands. And he had dug wells and left those wells for everybody to come along and draw water from. But the Philistines, the Bible says, when he died were glad to be rid of Abraham. So what did they do? They filled in the wells. Church, we can go out and we can preach. And we can share the gospel. And we can give the good news and we can dig those wells for everybody to come along and partake of. But the world doesn't want that. You say, preacher, the world is looking for Jesus. The world is not looking for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus makes them feel bad. Jesus makes them feel bad. The gospel, 
The law is our schoolmaster. It brings men to repentance. And to get to the point of repentance, you have to see yourself in the light of a holy God. The world is not looking for Jesus. The world is looking for peace. It just so happens we have the answer for that. But yet, what do they do? They fill in the wells. They fill in the wells. They never got to experience that water. They never got to draw from that well. They never got to know what Abraham had and what Abraham had left to him. Why? Because they were envious of what they had and didn't know how to get it. So what did they do? They just tried to remove it and fill it in. <clears throat> what did Isaac do? The Bible says that Abimelech... In verse 16, Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us. He was envious, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. He still was doing what God told him to do and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water. Oh, Isaac now had been driven out. The king had said, You're bigger than we are. You have more power than we have. He said, you need to go. So Isaac said, you know what, king? You've been good to me. I lied to you when you called me out and I repented. He said, I'm leaving. He said, I don't want any trouble here, so let's move on. So he grabbed all his possessions, all his flocks, all the stuff he had, all his servants, and he moved on. But as he moved on, there was a problem. What was that problem? They needed water. <laughs> And they're traveling through, sojourning through this land. And what happens? Isaac's walking along. And he says, you know what? This place looks a little bit familiar. I've been here before. I've seen this. I know what that is. Wait a minute. Right there, there's a well that my daddy dug. He said, fellas, there's water there. I know what's there. And he dug it up and they were able to, to draw water out of that. And he was able to feed his family. And he was able to give water to his flocks. Why? Because a hundred years before, Abraham dug a well and he left it. Church, what I'm saying is this. Is there are those that come before us that have dug wells and left them for us all over this land. You're worried about America. Let me tell you, there are wells all over this land. And all we got to do is go and dig them up. All we got to do is go and dig them up, and this land is God's. We have men like Jonathan Edwards who dug wells back in the 1600s that we can still go to and dig up. But more importantly, I look back on my own life and I see a mama and a daddy who prayed over me, who took me to the house of God, and they would dig wells that I could come back and I could redig out and I could go back and remember the times when God moved. I remember as a nine-year-old boy in my church down in Georgia when the power of God fell in revival that went four weeks. I would go to my elementary school there, James H. Brown Elementary, and I remember the first week asking my teacher if she wanted to come to church. And I remember the second week asking my teacher if she wanted to come to church. And the third week, asking my teacher. And by the fourth week, I came home. She stopped me and said, Are you kidding? Are y'all still in church? But I was a nine-year-old boy, and the power of God falling so thick that you could swat it like flies. And men and women laid out in the floor because the power of God had slain them right there, and they were repenting and getting right with God it wasn't some tingly feeling they got when somebody sang a special song. It was a move of God that stopped people where they stood and they couldn't go on without God anymore.
The service was to start at 9 o'clock in the morning and we'd go till 2 and the pastor would send them home so they could come back at 7. Say, how do you know, preacher? Because I was there and my parents didn't miss one. And they would come back at 7 then at 1 or 2 in the morning the pastor would beg people to go home so they could come back. What is that to me? It's a well. It's a well that I can go back and I can dig up and I can remember the move of God. I remember preaching in power. I remember being on the Alleluus in the north of Scotland and the power of God falling and me digging a well right beside the one that Duncan Campbell dug in the 1950s when he preached and the power of God fell and they had revival. Those are wells that I can go back and I can dig. What wells do you have? I'm an emotional guy. But when I think back on the power of God that's been bestowed on my life, all I can do is weep. What wells do you have? What wells have you dug up in your own life that were left before you by our fathers and our mothers? I got a set of grandparents that loved God. I, I remember I would wake up on a Saturday morning, go into their living room, and there sat my grandmother and my grandfather reading the Word of God and praying, looking at me going, son, we'll have breakfast in a minute. We're just communing with God, digging that well, digging that well. Boy, oh, Isaac, got to enjoy that well. Oh, Isaac needed something from God and his father had left him something right there. But yet that's not all he did. We look on and we see that Isaac in verse 16 dug him up. In verse 19, and Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. Not only did Isaac dig up one of his daddy's wells, he dug his own. My children are going to have wells that they can dig. They're going to have wells that their mom and their daddy left for them. When things get dark, they can see the power of God. And they can remember. They can remember. Some of you teachers, I look over here. And I see Cora has been a friend of mine for years. And I think about all the kids she's influenced. Even my own kids. And I think about how she dug wells for those children. How she gave them something to look up to. Someone to look to. A godly example. Digging the wells. Say, preacher, I'm tired of hearing you say digging the wells. That's the sermon. Isaac didn't just dig up his daddy's wells. He dug his own because he had two boys. That we're going to need it one day. And Isaac digged again those wells. And the herdsmen of Gerar, the Philistines, did strive with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Isaac because they strove with him. Now they saw what he had done. The work Abraham had put in. The work Isaac had put in. And he, they wanted that. And he removed from thence, Isaac said in verse Verse number 22, he said he removed. And what did he do? He digged another well. Let me tell you something, folks. God's allowed me to dig some in my time. 
And I don't begrudge any of you going back and digging those wells. You may want to go back and say, you know, I remember a sermon Joel preached one time. I think I'll listen to that thing again. And God, dig up that well for you again. I don't begrudge anybody coming along and tasting the water of the Word of God and being able to be cleansed by the Spirit of God and reaching down into that well that I dug or you dug and coming up with some water that's pure and righteous and being able just to cleanse themselves and refresh themselves and be able to experience the move of God once again just in their own mind. There's nothing wrong with going back and remembering what God did for you. There's nothing wrong with refreshing yourself in the Word of God. But yet we find Isaac didn't just do that. Isaac moved on. Isaac said, take them. So what did he do? If you read on down, he dug another well. And the Philistines came again and said, we want this one too. You know what he said? Go for it, fellas. He learned his lesson. And he moved on again. And what did he do? Went somewhere else. Dug another well. Listen, listen. It's all right to dwell in the past sometimes. It's all right to remember things. But we don't live in the past. Today is a new day that we can dig a new well. Today is a new time that we can experience the joy and the goodness of God. The Holy Spirit is with us today like He was yesterday. And we dig a well all the fresh and the new today. And then tomorrow comes and what do we do? We dig another one. Till we look back on our lives and they're spotted with the goodness and the grace of God. And we can see how God moved. And we can see what He did for us. And we can see the legacy that we have left behind for our children and their children and those that come behind us. Hey, hey, today's a new day to dig. Today's a new day to experience God. Don't be content just sitting on the pew and saying, well, I went to church and Joel was very animated and he cried a little bit and that was pretty good. I feel like I've been with Jesus. No, go out there and dig your own well and make a difference in your life and in somebody else's. <laughs> it's a never-ending supply. It never goes away. Thank God. Church, you may not get a thing out of this, but I'm digging some wells for me. I'll preach this to myself for years to come on this one. The Bible says that in verse 23, he went up thence to Beersheba, Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him in the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not. For I am with thee, I will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for thy servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And what happened after that? And he dug a well. Simple stuff. Nothing profound, nothing deep. But folks, when you get to the bottom of that well, man, you can go on another day. You can go on another week. 
And then when it's all over, you look back and you're in Beersheba and you built an altar to God. And you praise Him. And you worship Him. And you give Him all the glory. And then you get back to work and you dig another well. Let's all stand. Father, we thank You for the message. We thank You for those that have come before us and that have dug wells. Lord, we thank You that You've given us the opportunity to, to redig those wells. We thank you that uh, <laughs> it's not just for one person. It's for all of us. And that we can partake in the Holy Spirit every day and have life more abundantly. And Lord, now as we sing this song of invitation, we ask God that you would move in mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.